0: And I uh, encourage you to get your Bibles out, and let's open up to Jude, which is almost at the very, very end of the Bible. And we're in a series in Jude, and we're talking about contending for the faith, know the truth. We've got to know it so well that we can step into the ring, and that we can declare fearlessly, courageously, and lovingly the Word of God to those who are believing and following after false teachers. So I want to encourage us to get into the Bible. We're we're actually uh, going to be looking at 3 verses today. I know some of you are like you're kidding. That's too fast. I know. We'll slow it down. But we're at, we are on part 8 and it just makes sense that we're starting at verse 8. So I'm trying to be, you know, literal with the text. False teachers and authority. Now you got to hear this. This starts out the whole message False teachers and authority have always had a very, very sordid relationship. False teachers and authority. And it's the thread that was woven through the three examples that Jude just gave, verse 5, 6, and 7. From the Old Testament. Now look, look at your Bibles with me for just a moment. Look at verse 5. You've got the Israelites who rebelled against God. Wanted new leaders. Wanted to go back to Egypt. They're right on the edge of the promised land. And they gave up. Authority. You've got in verse 6 the angels, some of these angels who would not stay within their place of authority that God had given them and they came out of that authority, they came out of that place and they did, they performed horrible atrocities, terrible unspeakable things genesis chapter 6 then you've got verse 7 the men of sodom and gomorrah who rebelled against natural desires rebelliousness is all through these three examples rebelled against natural desires in order to pursue unnatural desires within sexual immorality so rebellion rebellion laces through jude it's all part and parcel of a false teacher So it kind of makes us pause a little bit to get a little more honest and maybe a little bit more real. And again, this is rhetorical, so to get you to think. Now, each of us, and I I have to answer this too, how do you do with, with authority? Somebody tells you what to do. Does it naturally inflame something within you? How do you do with authority? Maybe it's the... A wife thinking of that context of her husband, or a child with her parent, or a, a husband with his boss, or a wife of the boss, or a t- teacher, professor. How do you do with authority? Is there a natural rebellious streak that runs in you? So let me take that a little further. Ready? Is there a rebelliousness that you've got towards God? And let's take that even maybe at a different angle. Let's turn that a little bit because this is God's Word. Does this often find itself below your authority? Or are you able to keep this authority above your own? See, false teachers, it's here. Teachers that are teaching the Word of God and the Gospel, it's got to be here. But we struggle sometimes going back and forth. How do you do with God and God's authority? Look at verse 8 with me if you would, and let's get started in this. Look at what it says. Yet in like manner these people also. These people are the false teachers. Jude is talking about, writing about false teachers. And rebellion is lacing through them in like manner the same way it was in the Israelites Sodom and Gomorrah and the fallen angels, the same thread of rebellion. And look what's fueling that. Look at what verse 8 says. There's something fueling this. And, and for some of this, this might be opening your eyes a little bit. Look what's fueling this. It's that they're relying on their dreams, meaning this. They're not wishing. Listen, it's not like I dream of going to Disney. By the way, I've been there. To pick better dreams. It wouldn't have fun. It's not like they're wishing and hoping for their own way, dreaming about something. It's, it's this. They're claiming to have visionary experiences, and these visionary experiences are coming up over the Word of God in authority. These experiences have greater authority than the Word of God. That's what's, that's what's moving through these false teachers. And it's sliding and creeping into the church. So here's what I've just said, just to recap briefly. You've got false teachers creeping into the church, verses 3 and 4. And how they're getting there is they're claiming to have these visionary experiences, and they're bringing these visionary experiences as more authoritative than the Word of God, and they're bringing them into the church, and people are following them. See, they're saying that God has spoken to them uniquely powerfully and it's their job now to teach it to the people rather than gain the revelation rather than embed their teaching on the word of God alone they're claiming these visions that are outside the word of God and they're saying this is now what God is saying to do it's amazing What somebody who claims to have a vision can get away with in the church. Listen to this from Todd Bentley. And I'm thinking, God, why is not the power of God moving? He said, because you haven't kicked that woman in the face. (laughs) And there's this older lady worshiping right in front of the platform. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. The gift of faith came on me. He said, kick her in the face. With your biker boot. I inched closer and I went like this. Bam! And just as my boot made contact with her nose, she fell into the power of God. Listen, he's had thousands and thousands of people at his rallies in Lakeland, Florida and around the world, honestly. See, the Holy Spirit said to me, kick that elderly lady in the face. If you claim a visionary experience, if you claim a private word from God, it's amazing what you can get away with in the church. You see the word dreams, look in your text again. The word dreams in the Greek language. Remember, New Testament written from mostly Greek and a little bit of Aramaic, the Old Testament written from Hebrew. So the word dreams from the Greek has a, a trace of the word hypnotism in it. Got a trace of hypnotism in it, but it means something that's seen in the sleep that produces vain and empty opinions. Something that you see in your sleep that produces vain and empty opinions. Now you don't need to be asleep. You don't need to be at two o'clock in the morning to get these so-called visions. You could be in day slumber or daydreaming, or the power of God they say can come over you at any point. But it's something that's got a bit of a hypnotic trace to it in the Greek. In fact, one expert. Find it this way. It means to be beguiled with sensual images and carried away to an impious course of conduct, a very questionable, evil course of conduct. See, false teachers often claim to have these visions that come directly from God to them. And sometimes, listen, sometimes people do have visions from God. Sometimes God does speak powerfully and uniquely. But there are biblical principles and there are wise principles that can help you discern if it's from God or not. You see, the church rests... Now, you got to get this, because there's people here that, honestly, in our church, that listen to these people. The, the church rests on a foundation, the Apostle Paul says. Now, you got to get this. What's the foundation of the church? Everything's built on it. The foundation is this. It's the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And it's only laid once. Listen, when you build the building, you only lay the foundation once. You might rehab a, a room or two, but you lay the foundation once. And that foundation is the word and the works of the apostles and the prophets. And they are fully captured in the inspired, inerrant word of God. Listen, this is the foundation. When the last apostle died, he was Apostle John. God's inspired meaning that everything John spoke would come true. That's inspired and inerrant. That closed and God no longer spoke in an inerrant and inspired way to the church. Now God can speak to us, and God does speak to us, but they're not inspired, they're not inerrant outside of the Word of God. God's not all of a sudden saying, "Oh, why, by the way, it's 2013. It's time for some new revelation about me." Listen, it's all captured in the Word of God. This is closed, it is complete. So when God speaks today, listen, when God speaks today, whether they are experiences or visions or words or images, it is to speak in a way that will confirm what he has already written, not new revelation. So let me give you four guiding principles. Ready? Number one, how do you know if it's from God or not? No vision or dream... If it is from God, will ever contradict the word of God. For God never contradicts his word. And with all my apologies, and they're incredibly insincere, to Todd Bentley, God is not going to speak to him and tell him to kick an elderly lady in the face. That's contrary to God's word. Listen, that contradicts what we know about God and His Word. Secondly, no vision or dream, if it is from God, will ever contradict the character of God. For God never contradicts Himself. In fact, the entire Word of God, coming from the character of God, is to take widows and elderly women and uphold them and take care of them and love them and provide for them, not kick them in the face. Third, no vision or dream will bring new revelation that is not already in the Word of God because of what I said when Apostle John died, the revelation of God was sealed. It was completed. There is no new revelation coming. And fourth, and finally, no vision or dream or word, if it is from God, will ever, ever fail to come true. Now my wife... Denise is very, very much more sensitive to the voice of the Spirit of God than I am. I mean, God has to do something pretty obvious for me to hear. But she does things like doing dishes at the sink and all of a sudden she hears in her heart. You heard what I just said, right? Heard hears in her heart. God, say, put an image of a, a lady in our church and say, call her, she's struggling, and she will call that lady and find out that right at that precise time she is in tears and struggling. That happens over and over and over in Denise's life. I'm, I'm going to say this, ladies, I think you are often much more sensitive to the moving of God when it comes to care for other people than men are. Listen, when God puts that image and that face and that person and that that voice or impression comes into your mind and saying, do this. Well, does it contradict the word of God, the character of God? Is it adding new revelation? No call. Reach out and minister. That's God moving you to do what he wants you to do. Jeremiah 28, 9 says, "As for the prophet who prophesies peace. When the word of that prophet comes to pass, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent the prophet. It's got to come true. It's got to be true. It is this claim that God has given a word or a vision that fuels the rebellion of false teachers. And that rebellion was making itself clear in three ways. Let me show you the three ways, verse 8, and then it illustrates in 9 and 10, how their rebelliousness was coming through in the lives of the false teachers. The first one is this. These false teachers were defiling the flesh. Now let me just say this at the outset of this point. That has sexual overtones to it. Sensual overtones. This is immorality. Okay, this isn't eating 25 boxes of Twinkies and gaining 85 pounds. I gained 52 pounds from the day I was married till three years ago. Alright, that came through my love for God's created foods. That's the way I rationalized it. All right, that was terrible. That's not what we're talking about, defiling the flesh. Defiling the flesh carries immorality to it. So in 1983, I'll illustrate it for you. In 1983, Pastor Don Barnett, who was the pastor of the Community Chapel Church, part of the Oneness Pentecostal denomination, they they denied the Trinity. There's a lot of issues with that denomination. One of them, T.D. Jakes is one of them. He's since come out of the denial of eternity. He says, you've heard of T.D. Jakes? There's some dangerous theology in that. This church had grown, this community uh, chapel church had grown to over 3,000 members. Don Barnett started it from a home Bible study. Over 3,000 members. He was a tele-evangelist. And he was growing increasingly bizarre and and controlling. He's warning his people that if they don't obey him, if they don't do what he's telling them to do, they're going to be left out of the bride. They're going to miss the rapture. If you're my age, and you remember when Hal Lindsey wrote The Late Great Planet Earth, that book scared a lot out of me. A lot. That book was terrifying. I mean, I remember waking up in when I was a little boy, I remember waking up for maybe a Sunday afternoon nap and I'm the youngest of six kids and I can't find anybody in the house and all I could think of was the rapture came and I was left behind. I would be crying and screaming. I was maybe 11th or 12th grade. Crying and screaming. Until my mom would come and remind me, the rapture hasn't happened, you're going when Christ comes, because you put your faith in Jesus. Hal Lindsey scared me. So listen, this was, he was a good author, but this was Don Barnett scaring his people, intimidating his people. And he shared that he had been taken up, now listen, you got to get this, he shared that he had a vision where he was taken up into heaven... And he sang with the angels and he experienced oneness in being with Christ, merged with Christ. And so overawed and intimidated this church. Now, listen, if I ever do stuff like that, you either, you got to come up and say something to me, you got to confront me. Pastors do this stuff, don't let me do this to you. Overawed and intimidated, the church was ready for what Barnett then introduced called spiritual connections. Now listen to this. Including, quote, dancing before the Lord, unquote, meaning that they would get the people in the church and they would select a partner of the opposite gender, often not their spouse. And they would dance together during worship and gaze into one another's eyes and Pastor Don Barnett and in order to be the model and the example for his church, would often bring the most spiritual, who happened to ironically be the youngest and most beautiful women in the church, to come up and be his dancing partners. And he encouraged them to dance with each other during the week, beyond the worship service, because this is going to bring, quote, greater unity to our church, unquote. You can get on Wikipedia, you can get on the internet, there are all sorts of research documents. This was major. It was captured in the book, Churches That abuse. Don's wife Barbara claimed that Jesus Himself came to her and had intimate relations with her. And they, in fact, they had a little bedroom of where the dancing would then move, and there were flowers all over the bedroom wall and petals all over the bed, and they would all sorts of terrible and unspeakable things would happen. Obviously, divorce rates went crazy high in the in the church. Suicides began to happen, lawsuits came, one mother killed her little girl thinking that God was speaking to her to do it and save her from the evil of this world. The church itself destructed until Don Barnett was finally mercifully fired. Today he still has a church of 350 people and his wife has recently written a book trying to make money off of it. My point in this, how did this happen? How did that happen of that extreme, huge church? Listen to what two former members said. You can see it on the screens. Don lost his grip on the Bible. You see that? If you ever see me lose my grip on the Bible, you must pray and confront it was the book which kept the place reasonably sober over the years. He gradually diminished and de-emphasized the Bible as something to preach from, as something to live by. He had to get rid of the book. This is what false teachers do. They've got to push the book down, the Bible down. They've got to find a reinterpretation of the Word of God. They've got to claim visionary experiences. that can come up over the Word of God. Somehow they've got to suppress the Word of God or their false teaching can't gain traction. Listen, when any of us rebel against God, any of us, you and me, any of us, it will be by rebelling against his word. And people do this, we do this, they do this when they insist that it's outdated, that it needs to be refreshed. That the old one, this one, is antiquated, irrelevant, not modern enough. And the result will always be the same. Defilement. Look what it says in Jude 8. This is one of the symptoms of the rebellion of the false teachers. Defilement. Recall, if you will, from three weeks ago. That the heresy that's creeping into the church through these false teachers was Gnosticism. And in Gnostic beliefs, they believed that all the body, the body was matter, all matter, the pews that you're sitting on, the carpet that you're touching, everything was morally and unbelievably and hopelessly corrupt. Evil. So it didn't matter what you did with it. Listen, if your body is corrupt and beyond redemption... That it's your spirit that gets saved and your body is beyond saving. Your body, nothing can happen to your body. It's evil and it's, it's, it's unredeemable. And then it doesn't matter what you do with it. Grace is going to trump sin. So go ahead and sin. In fact, listen, this is what Gnosticism taught. Sin more because the more you sin, the more grace God will give you and grace will increase when your sin increases. This is what the false teachers were promoting. So it's def- filing the bodies and it's leading them into sensual and sexual immorality by the way there are traces of this in our thought in our thought lives you know i know god's going to forgive me so what I want to do is not really that harmful or you know what? I have communion tonight. I got to hurry up and ask God to forgive me for some of these things I did this week. It didn't bother you until you saw communion. That's We, we get this distorted view of grace that it's okay to sin, but you just got to every once in a while bring it to God. That's, that's defiling the flesh. But look at the second one. They rejected authority. So this rebellion is coursing through these false teachers. And not only were they defiling the flesh, they're rejecting the authority, listen, of Jesus. Let me introduce you to Jose Luis de de Miranda. De Jesus Miranda. It's a long name. He's from Puerto Rico. He's actually in Miami. Miami. He has a ministry called Growing in Grace International Ministry. A lot of followers. 20 or 30-something satellite broadcasts around the world. They're going to celebrate Christmas, by the way, on April 22nd. They've been doing this. The reason they celebrate it on April 22nd, because it's his birthday. You see, Jose believes he's Jesus. I want you to watch this. I won't die, no, I won't You're die. not dying. No, no, I won't die. Even if you try to kill me. And his followers believe him.
1: The man
0: Christ Jesus is here he's among him. us. Dr. José Luis Jesús Miranda is the man Christ Jesus. The Puerto Rican born to Jesus admits to drug use and spending time in jail as a youth. Now he claims God has merged with him. He said, I will appear for the second time without relationship to sin. And that's what I'm doing. I do greater things than Jesus of Nazareth. Much greater. Greater than Jesus of Nazareth? Much greater. Does that make you greater than Jesus I am greater than him. You are? Yes, because I teach better than him. He spoke in parables. I teach wisdom and revelation. Well, you know what? If that doesn't make you sick and angry at the same time, let me tell you, let me take it a little further. He has got six, six, six tattooed on his forearm. And his followers are all getting, you can see videos of this on the internet, they're all getting 666 tattooed on their body. Why? Because, well, I'll let him explain it. 666 Antichrist means do not put your eyes on Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Put it in Jesus after the cross. And that's you. That's me. Listen, I'm not showing you any video clips... Of like David Koresh people, you know, the guy from Waco, Texas years ago, burned up 80 or so people in his, his little cult group. I'm not showing you anything that small. I'm showing you only in any of these clips, in any of these sermons in this series. These are people who have amassed thousands, hundreds and thousands of people after them. And it's creeping into the church. Those who say, Psalm 12 says, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us. Who is master over us? That's rebellion. And rebellion always laces through false teachers' hearts. And it moves them to reject authority. Listen, when you're listening to a preacher, when you're reading Christian books, you've got to look at, is their theology, is their teaching leading towards a defilement of the flesh? Is it leading towards reinterpreting the Word of God, reimagining God, freshening up the Word of God, rejecting the authority of Jesus, bringing Jesus down so that they could bring themselves up. That's false teaching. That's what they do. Let me read you this. You can see it on the screen. Embraced by the leadership... Of all the mainline Protestant denominations, liberal Christianity has been hailed by its boosters for 40 years as the future of the Christian church. Listen to this. Instead, all the mainline churches are demographically declining. I've been noticing this for years. I can't find a liberal Christian church that's growing and in the case of the Episcopal Church, disintegrating the Presbyterian Church USA, which I've got some people I love in this church that are from this denomination. They're they're famous for its 1993 conference, co-sponsored with the United Methodist Church. This is, by the way, um, you can see the footnotes from a Los Angeles Times article. The Evangelical Lutheran Church was in this conference the ELCA and other mainline churches their participants reimagine god as our maker sophia which means wisdom goddess of wisdom i mean this is unbelievable and held a feminist-inspired milk-and-honey ritual to replace what we just did, replacing bread-and-wine communion, the Episcopalians overwhelmingly refused even to consider a resolution affirming that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is the Episcopal Church. Listen, this is all through the churches who are liberal. And it's always a sign of false teaching because false teaching will move you to reject the authority of Jesus Christ and they will bring their own authority to bear and rewrite the creeds. I want you to see a horribly frightening, to me at least, it's a terribly frightening, of a man who's got a church that is thousands and thousands big. Watch this little ceremony as it elevates his authority. Zoom up right now. He now is raised up from a commoner to a kingship. Come on, raise it up. And I'll walk him around. here. Turn to face me. Hold it in the air. He's no longer a commoner. He's not on the earth. He's raised from earth into a heavenly realm. He's raised in a prophetic position. He's released by God. He's breaking pagan traditions, breaking areas of God. He's releasing Atlanta, Georgia. It's not him. It's the king in him. So everything I'm showing you in this entire series are things that are happening within our country. Bishop Betty Long, He's no longer on this earth. He's raised into the heavenly realms with prophetic power. You see that? Vision, experience, power. And he can reinterpret and say anything he wants, and their followers will believe it. Eddie Long recently alleged to have had sexual relationships with underage boys. Those lawsuits having been settled out of court, nothing slows him down. So not only will they move you to defile the flesh and reject authority, look at the third one, they blaspheme the glorious ones. Now this one's a little interesting. We start moving into verses 9 and 10. Um, They're not only doing the first two, now they're blaspheming the glorious ones, which seem to be angels, not fallen angels or demons. The point Jude is making is that rebellion is carried on the backs of the arrogant. Rebellion is carried on the backs of the arrogant. Let me show you what a, what that might look like a little bit from our friend Jesse Duplantis. I'm, I'm going to say something that will knock your lights off. God has the power to take life, but he can't. he got the power to do it, but he won't. He's bound. He can't. He says death and life is in the power... Of whose tongue? Yours. You ready for this? You want something to knock your lights off? You choose when you live. You choose when you die. Death and life's in the power of your tongue. Not God's. Rebellion is carried on the backs of the arrogant. Now, does that bother you? I mean, if you're listening to that and and you hear Jesse Duplantis, who is wildly popular tell you that you've got the power to choose when you die. Not God. God is bound... That's word faith, by the way. Word faith says that you've got the same authority as God and you determine what's going to happen to your life. You speak to Joel Osteen, you speak negative things, then you're going to create negative things in your life. You speak positive things, hopeful hopeful things, you're going to speak good things in your life. That's word faith, believing that there are buckets of faith. And when you speak, you create like God does and you actually can create your life. That's common in that theology. There's a debate over whether glorious ones means fallen angels or faithful angels. Let me just bring you into the context. The word blaspheme, look what it says. Blasphemed, and the glorious ones, means to speak slander, uh, means to slander or speak evil of. But when you combine it with glorious, you ever heard of a doxa or a doxa life? Doxa life? Navy uses them. Underwater divers use them. Doxa means glory, light. So the glorious, the Greek for glorious is doxa. If you combine glorious and blaspheme, it's pretty clear that what they're, what they're speaking of here are good angels. Because fallen angels aren't glorious. See, the false teachers despised these powerful messengers of God. You know why? Because they represented God's authority. These, these teachers who are creeping into the church are trying to reduce the angels, speaking of the angels, like they have no power, like they have no merits, they have no use. It's our authority, it's our word, not the angels. See, so they viewed, Gnosticism did, they viewed angels as the servants of the creator Old Testament God who And there, remember this was three, four weeks ago, this was, this is Gnosticism. They believed that God, that the God who created this earth was the furthest removed from the full God, the supreme God, and this God was nothing but evil. He was horribly evil. And the Old Testament's about this, this God. And this God blinded people. This God enslaved people, they said. And this God has angels to do his bidding. And these angels are evil and they're serving an evil God. So they viewed angels as the servants of this evil God who's blinding the eyes of true believers, preventing them from seeing, listen, preventing them from seeing that they're gods. This is what Gnosticism is saying. Listen, if you believe Gnosticism, then you think you're a god. That you think you're as much God as Jesus was God. The Jews believed, by the way, that there were seven archangels. Or chief princes, as we know from Daniel. That's their names. And these chief princes, these archangels, these seven stand before God. They serve God. And one of them... One of them, now this is interesting, one of them, his name is Michael. We know him from Daniel, the book of Daniel, Uh, according to their apocryphal book called The Assumption of Moses. Now listen, we've got scraps of this book that have been um, saved to our day, but we don't have all of the book, and the part that Jude is referring to is not in our possession today. Nobody knows what it really says. But it seems clear Jude is now referring to this this oral tradition, these tales. I don't know if you tell your children stories. I make up a lot of stories for our kids. You ask them sometime about carpet snakes and all sorts of stuff. Denise hated my stories; it scared it scared him a lot. But you know, you tell tall tales or folk tales to your children. Well, this was one of those those tales that are embedded in what the Jews believed was true. They believe that this is true. The assumption, the burial, the death of Moses, that when Moses died, Michael was sent to take the body and bury it it somewhere where nobody ever will find it. And when Michael came to the dead Moses, here came Satan. And Satan's now arguing with Michael, saying, No, it's my body. I want possession of that body. You've got to give that body to me. And there's an argument. But the story goes in the assumption of Moses that Michael would not refer... Now listen, here's where it ties into false teachers. Michael would not refer to his own power. He would not refer to his own authority. Look what Jude writes... But when the archangel verse 9, uh, Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume, he did not arrogantly think of his own authority to pronounce a blasphemous judgment against Satan, but said, The Lord rebuke you. See, he's moving to the authority of Jesus. This is what false teachers don't do. They don't they don't direct you to the authority of Jesus. And look at verse 4. Do you remember what verse 4 says? Remember a license for immorality? Remember that? For certain people who have have uh, could have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Here's two things they were doing. Perverting the grace of our God into sensuality. Look at the next one. And denying our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. This is what false teachers do. They say, listen, don't move to, don't appeal to the authority of Jesus. Appeal to my authority. I'm the one that got this vision. I'm the one that got this word from God. It's my authority and it trumps or equals at least the authority of Jesus. Look at verse 10. They blaspheme, Jude says about these false teachers. They blaspheme all that they do not understand and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Blinded in their rebellion, they live by instinct like animals having sunk to the level of beasts. When you suppress the truth of God, when you set yourself above God, don't you remember Nebuchadnezzar? Don't you remember Daniel chapter 4 when Nebuchadnezzar looks out over the railing of his palatial estate over the grandest wonder of the Old Testament world at that time, Babylon? And he says, this is mine that I have created. He's claiming glory for himself. And it was at that point that God struck Nebuchadnezzar so that he lived like years, lived for years like a cow out in the field that did nothing but live by instinct. His fingernails grew, probably corkscrewing, kind of like Howard Hughes's did when he, they found his dead body in his penthouse. His hair grew like the feathers of of an eagle. Listen, when you suppress the truth and you bring yourself over God, you will be defiled, you will reject authority, you will blaspheme the glorious ones, and you will descend down into living like an animal by your own instincts. Whatever you want, you're going to try to get. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of things I want that I've got to... stop and kill with the power of the Holy Spirit and said, that's not mine. I can't have that. Not so with false teachers. Whatever they wanted, they would go get. Whatever they pursued, they would take. They were guided by their senses rather than the mind of Christ. It is beast-like animal living. Listen to this and watch this from Todd Bentley again. Check this out. She had an issue of blood. You called it out. She's all hooked up. She's healed. Debbie. You're here. Introducing <laughs> Debbie. Debbie, why don't you tell us what happened? I've been coming here and watching on the internet, and it's been 27 days oh my that my issues resolved. And I, I was coming so here because of a car accident, because I, I had slipped so discs. You're healed. And on the stairs, my arm started to get on fire, where I'm having the pain from the car accident and I'm fine while I'm standing there I got healed in my shoulder and my neck hey guess what you feeling a little drunk right now oh my god Something's happening! (laughs) Listen, when rebellion courses through your heart, it will move you to defile the flesh. You will reject authority. You will blaspheme the glorious ones because you'll be putting your authority up above theirs. And it will bring you down into your baser instincts where whatever you want you will pursue and take. And you will be guided by your senses. That is not the way of God. Can God heal? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's one of his names. Rafa, he can heal when he wants to heal. But when he heals, it will never be a spectacle and it will never bring honor and glory to the healer. It will bring to the man or woman doing it. It will bring honor and glory to God. And it will look like it did in the Bible. Orderly, lovingly, and incredibly beyond us. What do you do with this passage in Jude as I close? What do you do with this? Verses 8 through 10. What should our response be to reading this? Well, as you and I examine our own hearts, and will we find humility? Now listen, I asked you to examine your heart a little bit during communion. When you examine, you look down into your heart, do you find humility there? Meaning, Do you love to dwell at the foot of God's throne rather than on the seat managing and dictating and demanding your way? Do you lie low to the ground, which is what humility really means biblically. You lie low to the ground and when you lie low to the ground, everyone around you is exalted and none more important than God himself. See, you humble yourself and it works like a teeter-totter. You will exalt God. You exalt yourself, you will lower and demean God. So when you look in your own heart, do you find humility? And when you look in your own heart, do you find a love for God's Word and God's authority to be like David who wrote, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Do you love God's Word? I somebody in our church accused me of being a biblio-idolatrous pastor, meaning that I'm worshiping the Bible and encouraging people to do that. Listen, you love the Word of God, and the Word of God will help you to love Jesus. You pursue the Word of God, and it's going to make you pursue Jesus Christ. You don't end in the word of God. You're not trying to amass knowledge. You're trying to know who God has revealed himself to be through his word. And the word of God is living and active. And it is going down deep into your heart. And it is separating thoughts and attitudes. So you can see along with me, wow, that thought's not really very pleasing to God. I want to confess that. I want to get that out of me. God, use your word like surgery. It's your scalpel. Open me up. Take it out and sew me back up with the spirit and help me to live for you in a way that's spiritually healthy. Do we affirm in each and every circumstance, every single one? Now listen, think through your last week or two or month. Do you affirm in every circumstance that Jesus is our master and Lord and has the right to do whatever he wants? Don't be too quick to say you do. He has the right to do whatever he wants. He is God. And are you developing the discernment to know false teaching when you see and when you hear it? And are you growing like I'm experiencing? Are you growing in your courage to contend for the faith and to be willing to step into the ring lovingly, governed by love and armed with biblical knowledge? It's what we do with Jude verses 8 through 10. Stay humble. Stay at the foot of his throne. Love his word. Proclaim God's right to do what he wants. Develop discernment and grow in your courage and be governed by love. Amen.